Thank you, Pastor Gabe. All right. Welcome, everybody. Glad you guys are here. Welcome out there online, wherever or whenever you're listening to this. Um, I'm so thankful to look out and see all your faces and some friends we haven't seen in a while, um, some friends we've never seen before, but they're soon to be friends. I just love this time of year. It's kind of like summer starts to be over, and you're like, okay, now, now I'm going to re-engage with, with church and do some indoor things. And thankfully, we have an indoor church, so you guys can come here. But I'm, I'm, just, I'm just so thankful to look out and, and see your faces. Um, we have a message that I personally love. If you guys love it, that's great. That's a bonus. But I personally love this. We're talking about, you know, the series uh, in Ephesians, which is where we are, is very, very practical information that Paul is giving to the church in Ephesus. You know, the first, the first three chapters, it's only six chapters, and we're in chapter six now, so we're getting close to the end. But the first three chapters is all about theology, essentially. Paul is telling this church in Ephesus, like, I just want you guys to be solid on, on who Christ is, who God is, who you are to him. Just get that, get your mind around the theology correctly. Then the last three chapters is all just practical stuff. Here's how to live with one another. Here's how to live your lives in a way that's honoring to God. And so for the last three weeks, you know, when we, we talk about um, Jesus and when we talk about God, so often we throw out the idea, he just wants what with you? A relationship, right? He just wants a relationship with you. We say that all the time. And it's absolutely true. But if that is absolutely true, then what do you think one of the biggest targets for the enemy is? Relationships. He wants to cloud the idea of relationships. He wants to twist them and pervert them and damage them to the point to where they look nothing like what God intended. And if you thought about, other than your relationship with your Lord and Savior, what are the top three categories of relationships that we all deal with on a pretty regular basis. Husbands and wives, right? Which Pastor Scott taught on two weeks ago. Then, last week, parents and children, right? And then, today, we're gonna talk about, now, some, bio, some, some translations kind of soft pedal this and do uh, employers and employees. It's masters and slaves. That's what we're gonna talk about. But those relationships, the idea behind those relationships are really something that we all deal with on a regular basis. And they're all things, if you think about it, that one way or another, I'll be, I'll be gentle and I'll say our culture, but really it's the enemy, has tried to twist those and pervert them and change them and make them so they're completely unrecognizable. We are going to talk about how God views these things. So we saw the idea of, of husbands and wives and that relationship being a reflection of God's intention for how we are to be his bride. 
and how that works and submission and authority and how all those things work. Go back and listen to that message from Pastor Scott from a couple weeks ago, actually two messages because it was such a meaty topic, if you want more information on that. But last week, we talked about then parents and children and how that idea is to be a reflection of God's unconditional love for us. Really, thinking about a parent's love for their child, whether you have children or not, you've all witnessed that dynamic and that relationship. And we try to wrap our minds around how God could love us unconditionally. With all of our flaws, with all of our warts and behaviors and things that we do, how could he really truly love us so unconditionally? And the idea of a parent's love for their children is about as close as we can come as human beings to understanding that. And then vice versa, um, a parent or a child that is honoring their parent. And the reason that's important is because it helps them to start forming this idea that, hey, even as an adult child, I don't necessarily know everything. Sometimes there's someone above me who's trying to help me. And even if I don't understand it, I understand that they have my best at heart, which is so often the way that God works in our lives. We can trust that he has our best at heart. We can trust that he loves us and wants the best for us. But man, I'm not seeing it right now. I'm not feeling it right now. I don't know what you're doing, God. Anybody else pray that on a regular basis? God, I don't know what you're doing. It'd be really great if you gave me a glimpse of how this is all working in my life, but I trust you. Without that idea of a relationship between a parent and a child and a child and a parent, we'd have no frame of reference for understanding that someone well and truly could just have our well-being at heart because they love us for no other reason than that. That's hard for humans So what we're going to look at right now is another difficult subject. We're in Ephesians 6, and this is just going to be verses 5 through 9. Again, my my subtitle in my Bible is just Slaves and Masters. Some of them do change it to employers, employees, or different things like that. I'm going to read it for you, just so that you can all hear it, and then we'll go back in and we'll take it apart. (coughs) Excuse me. Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart with goodwill render service as to the Lord and not to people knowing that whatever good thing each one does, he will receive Back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. One of the things that jumps out to me about this scripture, and and it always has, is that this is a very common scripture that non believers will use to say, why would I even follow God? This God that you want to tell me about endorses slavery. It's in the Bible. 
I can't tell you how many times I hear it. It's in the Bible, you know, slavery. Christians endorses slavery. And if God is so loving, how could he possibly allow that or sanction that? It ranks right up there with different things like a loving God couldn't possibly allow evil to exist at all. Anybody heard, heard that lately? How about this? The God of the Bible sanctions killing of babies. Okay? Or God commanded parents to stone their unruly children to death. All of which has a basis in fact. But very, very misused and misunderstood. Anybody have any other examples of like common statements that people make? Like, why would I follow your God because... I'm sure we all probably have heard different things or something's coming to your mind right now. But that's always followed up with the statement, something around this. Even if God does exist, he's an angry narcissist. Why would I follow somebody like that? Anybody ever heard a version of a statement like that? And what do we say? Uh, That's not the God that I know. But what do we say when they say, you know, the Bible endorses slavery? What do we say? If we don't understand these difficult passages, all we can do is go, yeah, but not in that way. Okay, that's not a super compelling argument. The Bible, you know, God commanded parents to stone unruly children to death. What do you say about that? Okay, well, he did, so I can't say that he didn't, but there's more to the story. Okay, what's the more to this story? I don't know. When we say things like that, we're not glorifying God. This is why we study the word, because we need to have an answer. When we say, I trust in God, I love God, I have hope in him. Well, why? Because he does all these things. How can you then, are you just ignoring that and pretending like that doesn't exist? Our answer should be no, because I understand it. That's why we're going to talk about this today. We need to understand these hard passages in order to be able to be the light in a sea of darkness. So given that, the last thing, we are looking at the last little section of Scripture right before Paul wraps up his entire epistle to the Ephesians by warning the church in Ephesus. Here's what he says, Ephesians 6.12. This will be from next week. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So all this about relationships, husbands and wives, children, parents, slaves, masters. He talks about all these relationships and and says, therefore, remember that our fight's not with each other. Our fight's against these things. That makes this section to me a little bit more important, same as the one about parents and children. So let's look at it closer. Ephesians 6.5, this is our first, first one in this section. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Okay, some of that is Bible speak. Let me just make it clear to you. Be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. That doesn't mean in a spiritual sense. That doesn't mean you're you're better. 
That just means the person that in a fleshly, earthly way has been put in authority over you. Okay, that's what it's talking about. With fear and trembling. Again, another biblical term. It just means with respect, with an understanding that it matters. In the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. That part is difficult. That means obey them, whoever them is, as you would obey Christ. Anybody struggle with that? Anybody have a boss? Somebody in authority over you? Who you're like, I can't obey you as unto Christ. But that's what we're told to do. Let's pause for a second to let that idea soak in. The term slave driver is overused in our culture. We use it in all kinds of ways. But what does it mean to you? I mean, there's all different ways. We could look at it like this. Okay, here's the first one. All right, this is supposed to be in Egypt, not an actual photo of, of, of in Egypt. But, but there, okay, so there's one example of, of what a slave looks like and a slave driver, the guys on the side who would just make that slave by force. Here's another one. Okay. This is actually in, it's a, it's a drawing of something that happened in Africa, but that also happened in our country. Is that what you think of when you think of slave driver? Or how about this more commonly used one probably? Maybe that resonates more with some of you. Either way, no matter which of those images resonates with you, Think about the idea that as the subject, as the slave, as the lower one on the totem pole, you are supposed to obey those above you as unto Christ. Anybody struggle with that? It's not easy, is it? But the answer is yes, we are supposed to. Colossians 3.23 is another one from Paul. Whatever you do, do your work heartily, as for the Lord and not for people. That means don't even, don't even just go through the motions to satisfy them. Go above and beyond. Do it with all your heart. This just gets harder. It's not even getting easier as I go. It's getting harder as I go. The next verse, Ephesians 6.6, 6, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. That just means not only when your boss is watching, but when Christ is watching. Let's talk about the heart for a minute. The heart seems to be the root of all kinds of issues. We always say money is the root of all evil. I don't know if money is. Heart's right up there. Anybody ever heard the phrase, the heart wants what the heart wants? We hear that all the time, all the time. The heart wants what the heart wants. And it's almost always in the context of an excuse to justify poor behavior. Almost, almost exclusively. Nobody ever says, the heart wants what the heart wants. I want to follow Jesus Christ with all my heart. That's what I want. Rarely do you hear that. It's always, yeah, I know I shouldn't be doing this or shouldn't be doing that, but... Heart wants what the heart wants. 
And that phrase, that quote is attributed to everyone from, from Woody Allen to Selena Gomez, if you Google it, all over the place. Really, Emily Dickinson back in the 1800s is the one who really coined the phrase. But it almost always means whatever your heart wants, you might as well just give in to it because you can't fight it. <laughs> but someone smarter than even Emily Dickinson once said, in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? It doesn't sound very trustworthy to me. The Apostle Mark said this, Mark 7, 21 to 23. I'll just read this one to you. For from within, out of the hearts of people, come the evil thoughts, acts of sexual immorality, thefts, murders, acts of adultery, deeds of greed, wickedness, deceit, indecent behavior, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. That was fun, wasn't it? All these evil things come from within and defile the person. Heart seems less and less trustworthy the more we go. But this is why also David, King David, cried out after his epic failure with Bathsheba. If you don't know that story, read 2 Samuel 11. It was about as epic as a failure could be, and King David cries out. Psalm 51, 10 through 12 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. He's crying out because he has just failed in a huge way. And thankfully, we have God's promise that again and again and again, if we cry out to him, he will do just that. Hebrews 10.22, let's approach God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's a promise. And it's only with a renewed heart and the Holy Spirit of God, that we can even hope to do what Paul is asking us to do here. Because for him to say, no matter whether, whether you're, you're superior in terms of, of position or status is, is a slave driver or a husband or a parent or whatever authority that they've placed around you, whether you agree with them or not, whether you like them or not, has nothing to do with it. You are supposed to obey them, to submit to them in humility as if it were Jesus Christ standing right in front of you. Would anybody here have the slightest bit of difficulty if Jesus was standing in front of you and said, I need you to do this? Would anybody have a problem with that? And yet we look at the earthly authorities around us and our first instinct, in most cases, let's be honest, is to question what we're being asked to do. Maybe that's not a good idea. Maybe I'd do it differently. Maybe I should do something else. I had a, I was telling Gabe this morning, I had a slight clash with one of my pastor mentors about 10 years ago. 
where I didn't agree with some of the things that he was doing, some of the decisions he had made, not spiritually, but just administratively. And I said, you know, I I think this and this and this would be a good idea. And he said, you know, those are good ideas. I think what you should do is write those down. And then when you have your own church someday, remember that. Good point. I remember that every day to this day. (laughs) Ephesians 6, 7, with goodwill, render service as to the Lord and not to people. Some translations use the words serve wholeheartedly or work with enthusiasm. This isn't just, I'm going to go through the motions and do the bare minimum. We are always called to go above and beyond. Verse 8, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, he will receive this back from the Lord, whether slave or free. Matthew 6, 4 says, your father sees what is done in secret and will reward you. Think about that for a minute. Your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Here's a question. Do you find that encouraging or intimidating? Is it a comforting thought to think the things that I do in secret, my heavenly father sees those things? Or do you go like, oh man, I don't necessarily want him seeing all those things I do in secret. How you responded to that question, though, should give you a little bit to think about. So if that's not encouraging, or if maybe that's a little (laughs) little discouraging to you, how about this? Colossians 3, 23, 24. Paul again, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord and not for people, knowing that it's from the Lord that you will receive the reward of the inheritance It is the Lord Christ who you serve in everything. Think about your least favorite authority figure in your life right now, today, whoever that is. Serve them as if you were serving Christ directly. That's hard. We talk about masters and slaves. Maybe we don't have that master-slave relationship, but we're supposed to treat them the same way. And that comes from the heart. That's our decision to serve them. So if we look at all this, so this message all just boils down to being a good servant and doing what you're told with a good heart, with humility, and with not grumbling. Is that it? That's a good message as far as it goes. But I think there's a little bit more depth here. (coughs) Excuse me. A little bit more depth. And since I've got a couple minutes, let's look at that. Famous last words. Oh, I'm doing great on time. There's got to be more to this, though. Ephesians 6, 9 wraps up this section. And masters, do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there's no partiality in him. See, think about this. Under, under the laws at the time, slaves were considered property, okay? 
Slaves were just nothing more than property. And you could do whatever you wanted with them, to them. You could dispose of them in any way that you wanted. That was how it worked. And so for Paul to say this, not only slaves, be good to your masters. Do what they say. I could see all kinds of people going, yeah, do, do what I say. But then the flip side, masters, treat your slaves the same way. Treat those under you the same way. That idea in that culture would have been just as radical as if I would have told all of you, look, people, you need to go home and just be good to your appliances, okay? Your refrigerator, your washing machine, your stove, treat them well today. Like, why? It's mine. I can do anything I want with it. That would have been their answer. Why do I have to do that? The idea of considering the equal, like I'm supposed to consider my slave my equal, or from the slave's point of view, how can I consider my master an equal? So I could expand on this message, and you've all heard messages in this section talking about the different kinds of slavery, you know, voluntary uh, servitude, indentured servitude versus forced slavery, all these things. We could talk about the idea of slaves being redeemed and their freedom being purchased in the year of Jubilee, things like that. We could talk about why the Bible doesn't explicitly condemn slavery. That'd be helpful if it just came out and just explicitly said some of these things. Why doesn't the Bible just abolish slavery by decree? Thou shalt not. But it doesn't. But I'm not going to go there with this message. What we're going to talk about, as I wrap it up, big red letter says conclusion. So we're coming around, coming around the band here. Of course, I got nine pages of conclusion, but that's, no. <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. Jesus Christ and his gospel message was sent into a world and into a culture that contained slavery. It was just a fact of existence. And the plan was never for Jesus Christ to come and enforce behavior by decree, by royal decree, by law, by rule. That wasn't the plan, but to battle against the mindset that makes it possible in the first place. If we overcome that mindset of anybody feeling they're better than someone else just because of their social status or their money or their breeding or whatever it is, if we overcome that mindset, then humility can take place. And all these things that we see struggling that people struggle with around the world just are not a problem anymore. There's a theologian, Charles Moule, and he put it like this. He just said very simply, while the gospel in one respect left slavery alone, it doomed it in another. The gospel message itself, if we embrace it and we believe it, we can't have the mindset that we are ever better than anyone else. I don't think Paul 
is talking here only about the idea of slaves and masters, especially in terms of authorizing the propriety of the relationship or authorizing slavery. That's not what Paul is talking about, but the understanding that no matter where you are in the world's hierarchy, are you a worker bee? Are you a mid-level? Are you in charge of everything? Are you the person in charge? Are you royalty? Are you a serf in the kingdom? Are you a slave? Are you a master? Are you rich? Are you poor? Are you all these things? None of it matters in the eyes of God. None of it. So where we are in our station in life is just where we are today. We're all children of God put into the places that we are, whether we found ourselves there by our own choices or we were placed there by God as Scripture tells us all authority is. Placed by God. No matter where we find ourselves, there's going to be equality in heaven. Think about this. Think about the idea. In heaven, there will be 100% equality. No social status, no nice neighborhoods, and no, I don't go to that neighborhood. There'll be none of that. Can you even wrap your mind around what true equality without any of what the yardsticks that we use as a culture, without any of those in place, what would that look like? If you're a poor man, that would give you hope, wouldn't it? Revelation 21.4, he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There'll be no longer any mourning or crying or pain. These things have passed away. If you're a poor man, that should give you great hope. If you're a rich man, it might be a little harder, especially if we've come to rely on those things. Remember the parable of the rich young man, rich young ruler? It says, Mark 10 23 to 25, Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And all the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus responded again and said to them, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now that took place just after the rich young man said, I've done everything that's required of me. What else do I need to do to get to heaven? And Jesus says, give up your wealth. And he goes, <laughs> no, no, I, I'm anything but that. And then Jesus responds with what we just said. Given that the last three chapters of Paul's letter here is an encouragement for unity of the, of the body of Christ and the importance of serving one another with humility and love. This message, this section about masters and slaves should be seen primarily through that lens in context as a unity and humility message. Masters and slaves, unity and humility. Paul is just simply stating that your current status doesn't mean a thing in terms of eternity. If your eyes here on earth are on glorifying God. It doesn't matter if you're looking at him from here or looking at him from here. Because we're all looking up. And it shouldn't matter. 
if your hope for the future is on being with him in heaven, then it doesn't matter where you are now. I'm not saying we don't all want the best for our lives and for our children. Of course we do, and God wants that too. But if we spend time lamenting on the fact that we are not where we think we ought to be, or grumbling and complaining that how did they get up there when I'm still down here? Our eyes are on the wrong thing. So no, Jesus and the apostles did not outright condemn slavery. But they didn't need to. Because I said before, the effect of the gospel should be that lives are changed. Hearts are changed. Attitudes are changed one by one. And that those changed lives will then, in turn, bring change to the world. A world completely resistant to change. So it happens one by one. It happens with us. And so if you think saying yes, not just through gritted teeth, but with an open heart to whatever the authority above you asks, think about, again, I said, who's that authority that you like least in your life right now? Saying yes and being obedient to them with an with a open heart and doing it with all your heart as unto Jesus. That's how this world gets changed. We're not gonna wake up tomorrow and go, hey, somebody figured it out. They flipped the switch and now the world is working great. That's never gonna happen. It happens in our offices. It happens in our homes. It happens in the places where we find ourselves. It happens when the officer pulls you over on the highway to give you a ticket you don't think you deserve. We don't grumble, we don't fight which is opposite of what the world says, right? That's why it's so radical. The biggest hindrance to that plan is the work of the devil and pride in the world, which is why next week, Paul wraps up this entire epistle by telling us about the armor of God and that we need to do that every single day. It's an intentional thing that we do, and that's the only way to stand against the enemy. It's the only way as the body of Christ, we're going to make a difference in this world. Let's pray. Father God, we, are, we come to you just with humility and grateful hearts that our hope is not in whatever we can accomplish here on earth today. It's not on our boss or our employees if we are the boss to make anything happen for us, but it's what you have already done for us. So let us see where we are. Let us see the authorities above. Let us see the people we have authority over. Not as some hindrance or a tool to get things done, but as your children, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And help us to see them as as who they are to you, not who we think they are. Help us to look at everyone that we see through your eyes and have love for them and have humility and honor them the way that you do. Lord, we want to be your vessels to bring change to this world, so use us. 
Use us. Remind us in those situations. Put us in those situations where we can be the light to this world that needs it. Father, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, guys. Um, we're going to go into communion now. If you haven't been here or if it's been a while, we have a couple stations over here. Uh, Gabe and myself will be over here. Um, Jim and Sandy, <clears throat> excuse me, Jim and Sandy White will be over here, and they'll do communion for us over there. And up front, we have wine and bread and gluten-free crackers, and you just dip the wine and take it like that. In the back, we have self-serve, and there's juice back there if you prefer to do it like that. All that you need to partake in communion with us is to say yes to the gospel message of Christ. Yes, he is my Lord and Savior, and yes, I am called to be something different than I was. And by taking communion, you're saying, yes, I'm gonna walk out of here accepting that renewed person that he says I am. I may not feel it, but he says I am. When we take communion together, that's what we do. So feel free to start moving around and doing that. Don't forget, after worship, we're gonna just gather up here. If you want to, it's 100% voluntary. Don't feel bad if you walk out. I'm not, I'm not gonna take notes of who leaves and who stays. And if you can give us two minutes to just lift up this church, lift up the country, lift up the nation of Israel who is battling right now. We wanna lift up not only this church, but the worldwide church. That's what we're doing. So if you wanna join us, we'd love to have that. But let's move around. And let's enjoy some worship now. Thank you, guys.